Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to True Crime, the podcast that helps you find new, emerging, and undiscovered true crime podcasts. I'm Greg, the host and curator of True Crime. If you like today's episode, make sure to check out the episode description for links to subscribe. Before we get started, a quick reminder to hit that follow button in your podcast app. Over 60% of people that listen to this show are not followers. It's, of course, free for you to hit that follow button, but it means the world to us. In January, we're going to do a push to get everybody following, so you're going to hear this message from me for the next few weeks. The more followers we have, the more I can display the power of the indie drop-in network to creators and advertisers and everybody out there that we're trying to work with. So if you take a second and hit that follow button, that guarantees you're going to get an episode of True Crime from an indie creator every Monday in your podcast app. Today's episode is from Love and Murder. Do you like true crime? Well, of course. Stories? Yeah. Mystery, suspense, and humor? Uh, yes, please. The Love and Murder podcast is for you. I knew it was for you because I listened to it. The creators put a note in here that says, no victims were disrespected in the making of this show. I know this is a hot topic in true crime, so I wanted to make sure that I passed along that message. All right, let's get this show started. Begin. Welcome, 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 everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Love and Murder, the weekly true crime podcast discussing relationships gone terribly wrong, where our motto is, you're either someone's last love or their first murder. I'm your host, Kai, and we don't have a co-host today, but we will be back to normal very soon. As a reminder, our show discusses true crime cases told in the form of a story with mystery, suspense, and just a little bit of humor sprinkled on top, but never at the expense of the victim. Be sure to subscribe to Love and Murder on whatever platform you're on, as well as give us a five-star review right now so you don't forget. If you're new here, then listen to the episode first, obviously, and then please rate us. Also, welcome, 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 and thank you for stopping by. In today's episode, I'm telling you about a despicable set of parents and a poor little child. But first, I want to remind you to head on over to our Patreon. Our last bonus episode was two cases, two in one. One of a beheading and the second one of a sick sick case of a cannibal. You don't even want to know. It took everything in me. www.patreon.com forward slash love and murder. Now on to the show. On May 26, 2020, Annaville Township Police and Lebanon County Detective Bureau found a body in a room on the second floor of a house. Quote, both the bed and the victim's body were wholly covered in fecal matter. The door and its frame contained three metal hooks to lock the child in his room. End quote. That's right. You heard me. A child. In Anvil Township, PA, a 12-year-old boy was hidden from everyone outside of the home for years. On May 26, at around 12.05 p.m., when initial police were called out to the home on a report of a deceased child, they arrived and found Scott Fremont. Let me see if I can say these names. Scott Fremont 
Schollenberger Jr., who was 42, and Kimberly Marie Morer, 35, along with other children in the home. The 12-year-old Max Schollenberger was Scott's son with another woman, and the other children were full siblings to Max, and some belonged to the couple themselves. The 12-year-old appears to... Oh, sorry, I forgot to say Kimberly was Max's stepmother and Scott's fiance. So Max belonged to somebody else. Then there were children there that belonged to um, Scott and that other person. And then there were children there that belonged to Kimberly and Scott. So that's the whole workout of everything. So now let's continue. The 12-year-old appears to have been forced to live in his room with no contact with anyone else from the outside or from the inside. So he was just like, nobody could talk to him. And police described the house to be, quote, under horrific conditions. This is basically what they said. And this is what prompted them to call county detectives. Can you imagine how that house looked for police to then call county detectives. The body was found naked on a bed that was covered in feces. The room only had a bed, no furniture, no toys, nothing. There was a cup with literally an inch of water, but no other food. There were clothes strewn around on the floor and those were also covered in feces. In news released from Lebanon County's district attorney's office, quote, Claw marks appeared in the in the child victim's sheets. Max Schollenberger's bedroom was entirely devoid of light and furniture, aside from the bed wherein he died. The bedroom's windows contained shades and doors. The shades were taped to the window frames and the doors were screwed shut. The window coverings rendered the child unable to see in or out. The door and its frame contained three metal hooks to lock the child in his bedroom, end quote. Other children in the house, however, were fully fed in school and no apparent abuse whatsoever. When police spoke with the other children, one child said that they always remembered that whenever Scott and Kimberly went into Max's room, he would scream and cry and all of the children reported that they were not allowed to let Max out of his room. During the investigation, it was also revealed that Max had never been taken to the doctor or never enrolled in school in the last 10 years. Well, he'd never been enrolled in school because he was only 12. So 10 years would have only been two. So he'd never been enrolled in school. The weird thing is that Scott had been with Kimberly for 10 years. Do you see the correlation here? Hmm. Quote, the investigation also revealed that defendant Schrollenberger expressed intense frustration towards the child victim and that he had indicated to other individuals that he was afraid of hurting him. End quote. On June 1st, a forensic autopsy was performed by Dr. Michael W. Jordan, MD, PhD at the Lehigh Valley Hospital. Due to the autopsy, it was revealed that Max had been starved. There were signs of malnutrition as well as evidence of blunt force trauma in multiple areas throughout his head and body, including a broken eye socket. It was also revealed that he died from blunt force trauma to the head. Also, at the time of death, at 12 years old, he only weighed 47 and a half pounds. 
that's 21 and a half kilos and was 50 inches tall, 120 centimeters. And his BMI, his body mass index was less than the one percentile of his age group. This is how malnourished he was. His limbs showed a severe lack of muscle mass and his bones were in a weakened, brittle state. Quote, in my medical opinion, this 12-year-old child died as the result of blunt force head trauma complicating starvation manipulation. In the context of the Lebanon County investigation, it is my medical opinion that this child's death was a homicide. End quote. Montgomery County Assistant District Attorney Edward McCann said that this was the worst of child abuse cases he'd ever been involved in within his 32 years. <sighs> On September 2020, police filed criminal homicide charges, conspiracy to commit criminal homicide charges, criminal conspiracy to endanger the welfare of children, and endangering the welfare of children charges against Scott and his fiancee, Kimberly. After that happened, District Attorney Pierre, okay, I'm gonna try and say this, Pierre Hesgraf said, quote, today marks the first step in the long path of justice for this little boy. Max Schollenberger existed. I will not call this living in a state of perpetual suffering. He existed in the most egregious and foul of conditions. This child never looked forward to his first day of school or experienced the unconditional love of family. Max Schrollenberger died in soiled sheets covered in his own feces, end quote. Now, interesting note, both Scott and Kimberly said that Max never suffered from any form of mental or physical disorders. Now, while awaiting their trial, Scott and Kimberly stayed in the Lebanon County prison without bail. The preliminary hearing was scheduled for September 24th, 2021. Then the trial was set for March 14th, 2022, almost two years after he was charged. However, Scott actually pled guilty while in a pretrial conference hearing. And then he was sentenced to life in prison with no possibility of parole. Kimberly, on the other hand, pled not guilty. Her trial was still scheduled for March 14th, 2022. Now, check this out. Trial started and was seen over by Judge, uh, Judge Charles and her lawyer was Andrew Race. Her lawyer started their argument saying that Scott was the orchestrator of the abuse and the murder, and basically Kimberly had anything had nothing to do with it. Attorney Race argued that she should only be convicted of endangering the welfare of a child, but nothing more serious because, you know, Scott wouldn't allow anyone else to make the decisions for his son or to go get him help. And basically she couldn't do anything. Apparently she couldn't, even when she left the house, she was under his control. So there was no time anywhere ever, ever in the Everest of ever where she could have called 911 and gotten that little boy help. That's basically their argument. Quote, the only thing Kim is guilty of is letting Scott control her, not doing more and not calling the police. End quote. During the trial, several witnesses described Scott as, quote, mean and off-putting and also said that Max was scared of his father. Kimberly's daughter, Erica, 17, testified that once she saw Scott pick Max up by his shoulders and scream in his face, 
Max's mother, because I know y'all are wondering where she's been this whole time, as I was wondering, but this is the only thing in my all of my research, this is the only thing that I ever heard of her. His mother said that after he was three years old, she never saw him again. She would follow his life through social media pictures, but then even that stopped. And then, so I just wonder what the backstory is with that. Like, why did he get custody, custody of Max? Um, why wasn't it a joint custody? Why, if he never took her to see or took him to see her, his mother, why she didn't just call the cops and say, Hey, he's keeping the child from me. Why she didn't follow up after the social media pictures stopped. Like there's so many questions. Prosecution focused on Kimberly's Facebook posts, text messages, and videos recovered from her cell phone. Investigators had recovered more than 32,000 text messages, 102,000 pages of Facebook messages, and 7,000 pictures and videos. Because it's like we always say here at Love and Murder, if you're going to commit a crime, make sure you have as much evidence in your voice and your handwriting on your person or around your person as possible. Some of these messages uh, showed Kimberly talking about Scott's inability to control Max's behavior. She also talked about times when Max would poop and pee in the home. Quote, you should see Max's dinner plate. Maybe I should start taking pictures to prove I feed the asshole one text read. They also read messages sent from Scott to Kimberly. Quote, if I have to come home, I will beat his ass. End quote. They also testified that after Kimberly found the body, um, she packed up her little family and left the house and went to a neighbor's house to call 911. She also said Scott took a gun and went to Berks County. On the 911 call, plays played for the jury. You can hear the officer saying, Moore is tracking him. Scott Schollenberger on his phone. His phone is turned off. There's a location in Blue Marsh National Recreation Area where she said his gun is missing. End quote. Prosecutors also brought forth video evidence to the jury of an interview between investigators and Kimberly on May 28, 2020. On the tape, she described Scott as lazy and did not do anything for Max. She also said that she didn't call the Lebanon County Children uh, and Youth Agency about Max's condition because Scott made it clear that he wouldn't allow it. Quote, I would feed the child and he would never eat because Scott wouldn't go up to his room and do anything. End quote. Dr. Lori Fraser told the jury that As the 12-year-old's health was deteriorating, his parents would have been able to see the warning signs. Quote, he'd look incredibly thin and had no fat on his bone. He wasn't moving, wasn't able to stand, wasn't able to do bodily functions. No doubt in the last few weeks of Max's life that he was very, very impaired. End quote. It took the jury, which I can't blame them, less than one hour to convict her guilty on multiple counts of criminal homicide, involuntary manslaughter, criminal conspiracy to endanger the welfare of a child and endangering the welfare of a child. Not only just criminal conspiracy, you did it. Anyways, 
Kimberly's sentencing hearing was scheduled for June 1st. She was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, brought in jail. She also received an additional five to 10 years on top of that sentence. The judge was like, you know what? Life in prison, but I don't know. I'm feeling a little generous today. So I life in prison, you know, my generosity, divide that by five, uh, carry the one. Yeah. Five to 10 years on top of that. Why? Because I said so. Ugh. Quote, Kimberly Morrow stole Maxwell's life. The jury saw the worst of humanity during the trial, and we are forever in their debt for the strength they showed in their verdict. I want to thank the jury for its service and its verdict. While the verdict cannot ever bring Maxwell back or give him the future he desperately deserved, it finally imposed the ultimate consequence on the defendant, end quote. And that is the case of Scott Schollenberger and Kimberly Maurer. They are both in prison for the rest of their lives, and an innocent 12-year-old boy was brutally murdered by them. Jerks. Other children were left without a mother and a father, and possibly, more than likely, scarred for life. So what did y'all think about this episode? I would love to know in the comments below, and I'm sure even though Rick's not here today, he would like to read your comments also. So let us know in the comments below. Now for a love and murder update. With a new co-host, Rick, you can see that we're making some changes to the podcast. Everything we're doing is to bring you a better show. As you can see, for now, I'm doing the shows by myself, and they've been a bit shorter and not coming out on the same exact day. Right now, we've been focusing on preparing some new and exciting content for you all. Rick and I have been working round the clock on the back end, making enough episodes so that we will never miss a release again. All of you never miss out on content again, and we'll be back on a stable schedule. Right now, I just bring you episodes weekly so that we don't miss an episode. We don't miss a week. We don't miss, you know, bringing you content. But for the past couple of weeks, two, three weeks, I think it is. And even before, because of so many stuff that was happening, it wasn't on a consistent schedule. However, that is about to change. We go back to normal on October 2nd. These changes go for both our free and our paid content. Speaking of paid content, head on over to our exclusive community on patreon.com forward slash love and murder to get exclusive bonus content. Starting at only $1 a month, you get commercial free early release episodes of love and murder. Want us to get right to the story with no intro, no commercials, no nothing? Come on over to our Patreon. There are also other options where you get extra content every month, Serial Killer Corner, Love Obsessions, Crazy Crime, Getting to Know Us, the hosts, you get to play game with us, and so much more. So come on over. We will definitely love to have you over there, www.patreon.com forward slash love and murder. If you like this episode, then head on over to our Apple Podcasts or Spotify and rate us five stars. You can also download Good Pods and rate us on there too. You can say whatever you want in the description, what it does, it helps bring us up in the charts so others could find us just like you did. Follow us on social media at facebook.com slash relationship crime. 
Instagram at Love Murder Podcast. Join our Facebook fan group by searching Love and Murder fan page in Google or Facebook or by simply clicking the link in the show notes below. Find our awesome merch by going to our website, www.murderandlove.com and clicking our shop in the menu above. And an easy and free way to help us out is by simply sharing this episode. Share with your mom. I always say your mom, share with your brother, share with your sister, share with your best friend, share, share, share with whoever you know likes true crime. And even people that you're not really sure about likes true crime, but you know they can try something new, new podcast, share it with them as well. And as always, we end each episode by reminding you that it's all love and no murder, y'all. Bye. Thanks again for listening to True Crime by Indie Drop-In Network. If you would like to nominate a true crime podcast to be featured, just send me a tweet at Indie Drop-In. I'd also love to hear if one of our featured podcasts is now your favorite show. Indie Drop-In survives off ad revenue and listener donations. If you would like to contribute, please consider buying me a coffee. You can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Indie Drop-In. If you look at the very bottom of the episode description, I put a link in there to make it really easy. Indie Drop-In has many other shows that you also might like. Just go to IndieDropIn.com. All right, see you next week.